I'm thankful to still be able to remember certain things from my childhood. I remember in grade school playing basketball with my friends at recess and the court off to the out of bounds of the court in the, on the uh, school grounds there's a little slope and if, if the ball went out of bounds it would roll down the hill. I can remember us playing and then there was a new guy in school and the new guy in school the ball rolled down to his feet and he grabbed that ball and punted it in the opposite direction. So we didn't like that so there was some hollering and stuff with this and then it proceeded to happen throughout the day like the ball would go out of bounds and this guy would find it and grab it and just punt it you know in the opposite direction. So, so we didn't like that. I think there was maybe some pushing going on, but then one of my friends had the, the great idea of inviting this, this kid to play with him, and he took us up on it, and he played basketball with us and started playing uh, at recess with us from then on, and no more problems with the ball uh, being punted away from us. So we're going to be talking about peace today, peace and making peace, so if we could define peace uh, as between people, peace between people, relational peace. So harmony in personal relations, coming to an agreement. So this was an early event in my life uh, that taught me there's not always peace with people. Uh, not always peace with people. There's going to be contention. There's going to be disagreements that come up, disharmony. But there's a way to seek to end hostility. So just if there's disagreement, there's disharmony, just invite someone to play basketball with you and everything's good. So I think that'll be, we can just go from there. Now, we'll, we'll just think, what memories do you have? What memories do you have of disagreement, of, of discord with people, a lack of peace relationally? Are you, are you in a season right now as we sit? Are you in a season where you don't have peace with someone? or others for, for whatever reason? Is that a present reality? So understanding that we live with a constant state in many on many fronts, a constant state of maybe there's a interruption of peace. There can be a lack of peace on different fronts, definitely in relationships. But it's just a reminder to us that we live with the reality of brokenness. A lack of peace is, is the reality of brokenness brokenness in lives, so it's all around us. We can think of families that are broken. We can think of maybe difficulties at work, where we uh, make our living or with, with coworkers because of a lack of peace. There's not relational harmony. We know there are nations that are at war with one another, groups of people that they find their identity as peace disruptors. There are whole groups of people that exist to disrupt peace. We know them as, as terrorists, for example. So in life, we also have to fight for peace. We also have to fight relationally. It's not going to be the default position. But then also think of the uh, front of our, our mind, just our, our spirit, a lack of peace, a lack of contentment. There's a lack of peace of mind. So we have to fight for that. There's going to be distraction, there can be anxieties, there can be uh, worries that come up about numerous things on numerous fronts. We don't have peace and we need peace in a world of brokenness. So as we continue in Matthew 5, walking through the Beatitudes, so Jesus is teaching here on the fulfilled life, on what it is to be, uh, have a flourishing life. 
And that's going to be experienced by those who are his and he ushers in this new kingdom. So we come today to the blessing of making peace. So if you want to find in your copy of the scriptures back in Matthew 5, thinking what we've been through so far, how can we find fulfillment? What is this kingdom life that Jesus is teaching about, that he's describing? We saw last week uh, Jonathan preached on the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. So the center and source of, of who we are. And knowing that God looks at the heart, we have to understand the reason we're walking one by one through the Beatitudes is Jesus, he doesn't lump all these characteristics together. He intentionally teaches specific blessings from each specific characteristic of the kingdom life. So pure in heart, for example, is not a catch-all for the kingdom life. He doesn't uh, just generalize or gloss over. He specifies and has these separate beatitudes. There's a reason he gives us each one. Jesus has the perfect teacher. So let's press in today. We'll press into blessed are the peacemakers. So read with me Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word, its integrity, its truth, its power. Your word says, God, that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. God, we need you. Help me to preach clearly your truth. Help us to receive it and be doers of your word. God, we know you have given us this word for a reason, and we want to connect with that even in our time this morning. I pray that you would do it through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we could title the message, Opposing Forces. So we want to see the reason for a lack of peace is there are forces that are in opposition. So we want to see the nature of this opposition. And then answer the question, how do we, how do we as followers of Christ, as those who claim Christ, as those who claim kingdom citizenship, how do we make peace? How do we make peace? So understand, if you would consider this, we were born into a war and we can, we can pursue and champion true peace. Seeking peace or some sort of present utopia apart from the reality of Christ can only ever be a temporary reprieve, a ceasefire that will resume and never end. So we have to have our foundation of peace grounded in the word of God, grounded in the truth of Christ. So that's the foundation that we will proceed from looking at peace. So back to verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. So in other words, those who come between two opposing people, two contending parties, and they try to bring about an end to the opposition, the contention, those who try to end it, put an end to it, they will be revealed as God's children. That's what the word of God says. 
So this blessing attached to God's peacemaking, let's start there. Let's start with the back end phrase, shall be called sons of God. There is clarifying language that needs to be understood for this phrase to make sense as the blessing for peacemaking. They shall be called sons of God. So just understand that women are never referred to in the Bible as daughters of God. The reason for this in the ancient world, so first century Rome and the ancient world and even in literature, that only sons, only sons receive the family inheritance. Daughters receive no inheritance. So the biblical authors, they refer to men and women as sons and daughters of God. That if they did, excuse me, if the, if the biblical authors referred to sons and daughters of God, then the original readers could have misunderstood and presumed only the sons get the kingdom inheritance. Only the sons would get this spiritual inheritance and the daughters would be left out because that was the culture. That was the reality for men and women at the time. So this Greek word for sons, heios, is retained in translation. It's the legal term used for adoption and inheritance laws in first century Rome. So when we see sons of God, this exclusive language for the children of God as sons of God, the biblical authors, they're saying something profound. Men and women are equal recipients of the inheritance of the father. They've been adopted into God's family, and we now enjoy all the privileges, all the obligations and inheritance rights of God's children. When we adopted Jaden, my youngest daughter, it was a legal proceeding, but a beautiful picture of her uh, being given all the rights as, as our, our true child. So we understand this picture that uh, we get the full rights of God's inheritance, the full rights of who we are reconciled by God, peace being made between us and God, and then by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, both men and women, we are heirs to the kingdom. We get the full inheritance rights. Praise God for that. So that's important to understand as we look at uh, Jesus' teaching here about life in the kingdom. We have to understand our inherited status as citizens of, the, of his kingdom is both a present and future reality. So shall be called sons of God, the children of God adopted by the grace of God, being reconciled, being brought to peace with God. So what about peacemakers? So we go back to the first phrase here, blessed are the peacemakers. In the original language is this adjective describing a person, literally a person who does peace. So the uh, original language, poyo, make or do peace. So doing peace, any person who's working to bring about peace. So it's the opposite of war, the opposite of hostility. It's one who does peace, who makes peace. So understand first, it is not just describing a person that's peaceful in countenance or kind of serene and settled, quiet. That's not the description we get here. We're talking about peace diffusers, people that make or do peace. So how can we be peacemakers? What does that even mean? So how does making peace uh, allow us to experience the good life, the blessed life, the flourishing and fulfilled life? So we understand, again, just the brokenness of our world. Understanding the reason 
for making peace and then the nature of why there is brokenness, why there is not peace as the default position. So I know that statistics don't teach. Statistics can tell a story. They can tell something. So just looking at the present reality and a little bit of the historical reality of hostility, the opposition that's in the world, the lack of peace in the world. So a conservative estimate of armed conflict in the 21st century says that just in 23 years, coming up on 24 years in the 21st century, there has been 23 wars. So there's some wars that have spanned back to the, the previous century, but we think of the war in Afghanistan, the Libyan crisis, Boko Haram, other various conflicts between opposing forces just in this century. So we can't identify an era of complete world peace. It will exist for a time, maybe no armed conflicts in certain regions for a time, but it is the reality and it is the present reality we face. Nations at war, nations not experiencing peace. Well, how about religious peace? Religious peace. We know that many of the wars are for religious purposes. They're fought, fought on religious grounds. We see currently Israeli and, and the Hamas conflict at its core is a religious conflict. Everything in life is, is theological. But more than 70 million Christians, roughly, have been martyred in the course of history. And in the 21st century alone, over 100,000 Christians are killed because they're Christians every year. And that's recently, that's in the 21st century. I can remember, so we see that there are uh, people because of faith, because of identifying um, as Christians, for example, they're killed for that. There's, there's hostility, there's opposition but on religious grounds but then also within the people of faith, the people that claim Christ within the church. I remember the church I grew up in, the church I was baptized in, uh, the church, my home church, ended up splitting over the issue of biblical inerrancy. The pastor, when asked in a members meeting or a business meeting, when asked by my Sunday school teacher, an older elderly lady, he was asked point blank in the business meeting, do you believe the whole Bible is true? This is the pastor. And he said, I don't think people want me to answer that. And we had realized he was kind of a new pastor, younger pastor. And we had come to find out or come to see that in Sunday morning sermons, he rarely taught from the Bible. Didn't believe the entire Bible to be true. So division over doctrine is common. Division over doctrine sometimes is necessary, but there's still a lack of peace, even within those who claim Christ. And then what about interpersonal peace, this relational peace? We know it's, it's, it's fleeting. We don't see relational peace. Uh, road rage, for example, 2023, 92% of people have been reported to witness an act of ro road rage in 2023. That's almost everybody. A 500% increase in reported cases of road rage over the last 10 years is one statistic. So on one front, uh, on the streets, on the highways, there is a lack of peace. There is uh, disharmony on the roadways, but many fronts in our lives and in the world, we don't have peace. There is a reason for this. So there's no enduring, consistent, quiet, and calm. We don't exist in that reality. There's turmoil, 
there's unrest, there can be pandemonium, unquietness. So what's the reason for this? Why is this a reality? Why do these statistics tell a story? What is the reason for, for this? What do we do? What do we do as those who see Jesus, those who see Jesus as our Lord, the authoritative teacher who gives us instructions for life in his kingdom, and by his grace, he's, he, and he has given us life in this kingdom, the kingdom of peace. So first, the reason for the unrest. We have to identify the reason for the unrest. It's not random. It's not just unfortunate. Understand, the Bible speaks clearly about the reason for the lack of peace, the reason for the conflict between nations, the reason for conflict between religions, and between one another. The reason for that is Satan, the evil one, the adversary. The Apostle Peter writes this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's an opposing force. He doesn't seek peace. Elsewhere, the scriptures describe him as the father of lies. The deceiver of the whole world is Satan. He tempted Eve in the garden just prior in Matthew's uh, record of the gospel. Here, he tried to tempt even Christ himself. So we have to identify that this fight for peace is not fundamentally with politicians, not fundamentally with persecutors of Christians or those we don't agree with. It is a spiritual conflict. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Ephesus, he talks about putting on the whole armor of God. He talks about defending and going on the offensive against whom or against what. Listen to what he describes. Put on the whole armor of God whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's our opposing force, the evil one, the one that wants to devour people. One commentator, he says this, the Christian, the Christian has a peacemaker must recognize war, persecution, and injustice as part of the evil world. We have to understand this isn't the default position. This can't take us by surprise. And peacemaking is a means of involvement in the human predicament in warlike conditions, demonstrating the conviction that in the end, God's kingdom will prevail. So we're not hopeless. We don't come from a position of a lack of confidence in peacemaking but understanding it is a war, and it's a war against the adversary, the deceiver of the whole world, Satan. This is our plight. This is our plight. This is a spiritual war, yet all Christians are called to be peacemakers in our community, in the world, in our church. So how do we live as, as doers of peace? We're still pressing into seeing what this conflict is, why this conflict is, and how, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Well, first, we don't seek to cause conflict. We're not seeking to cause conflict. The scriptures are clear that God has called you to peace. Elsewhere, it says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Strive for peace with everyone. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is what the scriptures say. So we seek to reconcile. We seek to restore to friendship. We seek to restore to harmony. We, we don't seek conflict. We seek to resolve conflict. 
and we seek to resolve opposition even among those we don't naturally have a fondness for. So in, in Matthew 5, later, starting in verse 43, Jesus is going to clarify a little bit of this peacemaking and let us know that it's not going to be easy and we can't just assume that, well, peacemaking is just going to be among friends. I'll just make sure I'm, I'm on board with, with everybody that I like and everybody that, that I'm in relationship with. Listen to Jesus' teaching later on, Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This repeated language. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Now, tax collectors were known as kind of the maybe most evil people of the day or they weren't, they weren't liked. He says, even the tax collectors love those that love them. And he goes on, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. He's saying there's going to be a difference. There's going to be a difference in my people. There's going to be a, dif- there's going to be a difference in those that claim to follow me, that are ushered into this kingdom as peacemakers. There's going to be a difference. So God does hate evil. He hates evil, but he loves every one of his creatures. And he shows grace and care for all the sun and the rain fall on all people. So in the same way, we seek to make peace with everyone. We pursue ending conflict with people on numerous fronts. We, we don't discriminate when it comes to seeking rec- reconciliation. We don't discriminate. It's for all people. So you can be, maybe set it there, okay, we, we got it. Try to help people, be, be peaceful, be friendly, be nice to everyone. Ask people to play basketball with you, no problem. It's easy, peacemaking. There's a limit to our method of peacemaking. Understand this. So you've heard the teaching, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you love just your brothers or greet just your brothers, hey, what difference is there from from the the non-Christian? But there's a limit to our method of peacemaking. Matthew 10, Jesus, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. I look this way because I have my in-laws in town. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I've not come. Jesus said, I've not come to bring peace. What is this? Is this a contradiction? Is this a confusion? How is Jesus, the perfect teacher, teaching this? So Jesus was clear with his original followers and with us in this teaching that conflict, conflict even within a family, is an inevitable result of his coming. It's inevitable in his coming that this conflict will be faced by people, even in the family unit, because of Christ, because of Jesus, because of following him. So he's clear that not all, not all will be reconciled to him. Not all will have peace as they follow him because of others opposing the truth about Jesus. It may not be that they have a problem with with us or our personality or we didn't let them play basketball. It's they have a problem with Jesus if we are following him. 
seeing him as the most precious, seeing him as the treasure of our life, the point of our life. So what he makes clear is that we must love him most and best and put him first in everything, even if it costs us people. He's Lord. He's authority. So how can Jesus call, uh, how can he make the call for us uh, to something like peacemaking and then say he's come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother? He calls us to peacemaking and then he's saying, you know, you may even, compared to loving me, hate your mother or hate your daughter. So Jesus was and is the perfect peacemaker. All of these attributes of kingdom life, they are perfectly represented in Christ. Yes. So he was the perfect peacemaker. He, but, but Jesus, he's the one that threw furniture down the temple stairs. This is Jesus, the perfect peacemaker. He didn't lay aside and be imperfectly peaceful as he did that. He called the religious leaders of his day sons of snakes, sons of the devil. He called Peter to his face, Satan. He's the perfect peacemaker. So we have to remember that peacemaking is a divine work. It means reconciliation, and God is the author and initiator of peace and reconciliation. So it's the same word used, peace, that's applied to the work of Christ. So in all those examples that we would say, He's he's getting angry. He's not being peaceful. It's all for the purpose of seeing people reconciled to his father. That is the perfect move. That is the perfect doing of peace. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, for in him all the fullness in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is the perfect peacemaking of our Lord. So Satan, sowing dissension, brokenness, and evil, but God loves reconciliation. And through his only begotten son, and now through his children, representing Christ, making peace with man and God through Christ, that message of hope, now through his children, now through his church, God is still determined to make peace. So how do we make peace? We know the nature of the opposition we face. We were born into a war. We can pursue and champion true peace. Understanding we don't just want to mow over problems to see them spring back up again. We don't believe in utopianism. We don't believe that everything and everyone can achieve a state of perfection. Our eyes are wide open to the reality of the world. The reality of the opposition we face, the reality of the hostility in the world, we expect problems, but how does God's word direct us in peacemaking? It spells out the plight of kingdom life, the reality that we face, but how does it direct us in peacemaking? Luke 17.3 says this. Luke 17.3 gives us so much direction in terms of interrelational peace. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So John Stott, he compares the cheap grace mentioned by Bonhoeffer and says we must avoid cheap peace. Cheap peace would be this, a false prophet, you know, declaring peace, peace when there is no peace. True peace, not cheap peace, true peace comes through pain. 
And in this relational dynamic, the pain of maybe apologizing to the person we've wronged or the pain of rebuking, calling out the person who has injured us. So just as God, he forgives only when we repent. Forgiveness and peace come only when a wrong is admitted, regretted, and forgiveness is sought. We can't just say that whenever there's a conflict between us and another individual, or if we're involved in in maybe trying to make peace between two uh, uh, contentious parties, maybe we're called to be the, the mediator, or we step in, we're wanting to see family members or friends or neighbors or coworkers resolve conflict. We may have, uh, we have to understand time doesn't heal all wounds. It's not just, well, we'll set it aside, let some time pass, and then everything would be good. These conflicts must be dealt with, must be dealt with, preferably sooner rather than later. So don't allow a resentment to grow that's not peacemaking. Don't allow a small conflict to fester that's dishonest, that's not peacemaking. Talk about these things. With those who are involved in this, avoid gossip. Avoid gossip when, when there are uh, opposing or, or com- conflicts between people. Avoid gossip and seek peace. Cheap peace is acting like nothing's wrong. Justifying how you may have been wronged uh, or, or justifying may- maybe how you've wronged another and not seeking forgiveness suppressing conflict, assuming time will pass and all will be made well, that, that's cheap peace. Cheap peace uh, or true peace usually comes through pain. As parents, we do this. As siblings who fight or if your little one gets in a conflict with some uh, another kid, you want them to find, talk it out, lead them to talk about the conflict. You want apologies, real apologies to happen. Sometimes it's that half-hearted hug, but you, you want to lead them to, hey, this is how this has to be resolved. Be authentic and, and for forgiveness to be authentic. So we have to expect the same in our relationships. In the same way, uh, our kids have to understand authority in order to uh, understand parental authority so they can understand the authority of their heavenly father. In all these conflicts, how can someone know of forgiveness? How can someone know of their need for forgiveness if there's in conflict, if conflicts go unresolved? And, and in relationship, there's never a seeking of forgiveness and there's never a, a, a speaking to forgiveness. There's never true regret witnessed. How can people see or understand uh, from a young age or even, even some that are, that are grown like we are? people in our lives how can they see their need for forgiveness their need for a savior if conflicts are never resolved now to bring us back to the purpose of the beatitudes the purpose of this peacemaking yes there is some real tangible instruction for us to be about wanting to resolve conflicts but i love this quote it says living out the sermon on the mount can never be divorced from a right relationship to Jesus Christ. Another one, the Sermon on the Mount, like all the rest of the New Testament, really leads a man straight to the foot of the cross. We just can't rush through this reality. We can't rush through the reality of how we've come to have peace with God. Understanding that there's no longer conflict um, with, with God, even while we are sinners, and we've rebelled against him so many times, 
how does this happen? How can this be? Our adoption as sons and daughters of the king. The only way, the only way that there can be peace between us, rebellers against, against God, peace between us and God. The only way is that we're adopted as sons and daughters of God because of Christ. His death for our sins, understanding our need for forgiveness and forgiveness is only found in Christ. And his perfect righteousness, it grants us that right standing with God. That there is perfect peace with God because of Christ. The door of heaven being wide open. Wide open, 24-7. So God's adopted children, all we need to do is enter into his presence. Ask him for whatever we need, knowing that he hears us, answers us because of Jesus, according to his will. So we are his children. He's our heavenly father. We can't rush over that, what true reconciliation is. So cheap peace would be like, I think it's an inaccurate, according to uh, some historical records, but there was the claim that Nero, the wicked, evil emperor in Rome, Nero, that while the city burned as Rome burned, he was maybe hearing music play and he just wanted to hear music or they said he played the fiddle or something even though the fiddle wasn't invented at the time but that's cheap peace that's a picture of it just that picture that while everything's burning well well we just want to to be quiet and let things just kind of time pass and and we're just playing the violin as the city's burning understand the goal or aim is not the absence of contention or everybody getting along, or, or suppressing emotions or truth. That's not peacemaking. The aim has to be eternal, ultimate peace with God. Why are we here? Why are we here? Like, like right now, are we here just to make friends, to have a social life, to feel good, to get a little dose of religion? Or are we on mission together as peacemakers with the message of hope that brings eternal peace. For God to form us, to God, for God to form us and make us to be a sanctifying, disciple-making, soul-winning presence in the world for our lifetime or, in, or until Christ returns. Paul writes to the church in Corinth about who we are, who the church is, who the peacemakers, who the kingdom citizens are going to be. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Yes, he made a way for peace through Christ, but it's in order for us to be made peacemakers. It's the purpose for salvation, reconciliation, that he would give us the ongoing ministry of making peace. So we're ambassadors for Christ, he goes on. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the message of hope. This is peacemaking, is the work of proclaiming the gospel of Christ. The only path or way to peace to those who need to repent. Those who need to repent and be brought into relationship with our Father. So we're not about appeasing people. Appeasement is not peace. We're not about just staying staying quiet to try to keep the peace or to not offend. We love people. And we know the only way to peace with God is through trusting Jesus. Let's pray. God, 
thank you. Thank you that you have not only revealed the way to peace with you, not only have you revealed the way to be forgiven and to end conflict with you, but Lord, that you've given us that message of hope to take to others so that in our lifetime, as many people that need it can can hear the good news and be adopted as your children as well, have that opportunity to come to faith in you. So Lord, I just pray as peacemakers, we would, yes, seek to, through your wisdom and power, resolve conflicts, not be gossipers, not be ones that hold grudges, not be ones that that resent others. And Lord, that we would, through those relationships, we would just exude the peace and the beauty of Jesus. And Lord, that you would place us in positions this week even to represent you, be ambassadors for Christ as you've given us this message of reconciliation. Lord, would you do that all for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, that was...